What's going on, everyone? It's Mitch from RespectMyRegion.com, back with another episode of the North American Weed Tour podcast. We're looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. We got special guests joining us from the Midwest today. We got Ambrose and Alex of 1937 Group. How are you guys doing today, man? What's going on, man? We're doing good. Glad to have this. Doing great, man. Appreciate it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, you know, we got a couple couple different things on the agenda today. But before we get into that, I start every episode off with, with our guest. Uh, origin story with the plant, the plant being cannabis. So whether that's personal, professional, or choose to talk about both, I leave that up to our guests. But Ambrose, just because you're digitally sitting right next to me, man, I'll start with you, man. When, when did you and you and your journey with cannabis begin? <laughs> yeah, man, I think I've always had a, a, a relationship with the plant, you know, since I was probably about 15, you know. Uh, for that reason, I was always kind of like the black sheep of my of my immediate family and that's just something i've, I've kind of like as a flag i've just carried with me my whole life and everywhere but at the same time you know I, i've always been you know very very successful and put everything into everything that that i do and and so that kind of translated into where we're at now with the 1937 group which you know we started down this path in 2018 and you know we're happy to be where, where we're at right now is you know, really the first minority owned vertically integrated uh, license holder in Illinois. And and that means a lot out of 7000 applicants. I think we we're one out of three who won every license type that we had applied for. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about like what that means to, you know, to the general the community in general. Alex, what about you, man? When, when did you and cannabis start start seeing one another? Man, actually, Quite honestly, about the same time that Ambrose mentioned, I think, you know, I, I, I'm born and raised in California and naturally as part of, you know, the geographic location, I think, you know, cannabis, you know, was 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 on the horizon and I was destined to have my interaction with the plant. But I would say, you know, I started mostly just, um, man, like most people, I think that started early on, you know, I, I, I found a way for myself to smoke for free. I had a bunch of friends that, you know, wanted to smoke. And so... Uh, as a as a young entrepreneur, I saw an opportunity to, you know, buy bigger and, and break my friends off with a little bit here and there, starting starting kind of first just uh, strictly to smoke for free um, and kind of dabbled a little bit, you know, in high school. And then I think, you know, for me, where it really became a, a, a big part of my life was in college, you know, um, being part of the early uh, medical program in California, Prop 215 days, you know, I started cultivating in Santa Cruz as at a, as a a fresh uh, sophomore in college, you know, had a four lighter in the, in the back of my uh, my college house that we rented with some friends and, you know, just just, you know, from that point, never looked back. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And so so, Ambrose, we'll start with you and then Alex will get your take. But but can you break down to me what what the 1937 group is and kind of and, and, you know, moving from the origin of the the connection with the plant and yourself but now to the, the this company that you guys got on the you know bringing to the market out there in, in chicago and, and beyond in illinois yeah yeah so i mean you know as it relates to social equity programs in illinois you, you probably know man like a lot of them at the end of the day in terms of the implementation like regardless of what they said it was going to be ain't, ain't shit you know what i'm saying there's not a real whole lot of equity um from state on a state-by-state -state basis and so you know, for us, that's that's what we really represent here in Illinois is, you know, a group of minorities, folks who, you know, come from this and, you know, have 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 had that relationship with the plant and really deserve that opportunity, you know, based off our past to participate on the, on the legal side. And so, you know, 1937 specifically is a reference to the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937, which, 
you know, we point to as laying the foundation for prohibition in, in America. And, and specifically, you know, if you think about, um, you know, just, you know, how many millions of dollars have been made now recently, you know, over the last, you know, five, 10 years, whatever, whatever it might be, um, compared to the millions of people who have been put in jail over generations of this plant. You know, for us, it's important to, to continue to highlight, you know, that history and, and specifically why we deserve to be at the front of the table, you know, now that, uh, you know, the plan is being legalized on a state-by-state -state basis. Man, I, I love that. I love that. And, and and obviously, social equity has been one of the, the the hot topics, if you will, in cannabis, a much needed topic. But, you know, in terms of trending and buzz, it's been a hot topic over these last few years. It wasn't early on. You know, I live in Washington State, Washington, Colorado, kind of the pioneers and going wreck. We didn't really, you know, social equity wasn't even a part of the conversation. Honestly, Washington didn't have it until the Black Lives Matter movement made social equity kind of a, a mainstream. So I always throw shots to fake progressives out here, man. They, they didn't want to do it until it was, a, uh, you know, had some had some uh, public currency, social currency to talk about it, right. you know, but it seems like some of these new states coming on, it's, be, it's, it's obviously, you know, I applaud them whether they're doing it right or wrong. Uh, you know, never, no one's doing it hundred percent right, but it's at least becoming a part of the conversation at, at the, the, the point of legalization from your, your perspective of being on the ground, was it some, something that really needed to have like pressure pushed and, and be talked about, or did the, did this, the market kind of roll out with that conversation in tow with, with legalization? Yeah. I mean, in Illinois, right. And, and this is probably true of a lot of States when, when they let, went live with, uh, you know, their medical program about 10 years ago, you know, um, at that time, the barriers to entry were were so high, purposefully, um, I believe, meant to exclude people like us, right? Um, and so, you know, you look at the program eight years into it, and and they look at the numbers and they look at who's making all this money and you know leading all these companies. And what they found is that there's literally no minority owners in the entire state. And and so, as they're talking about you know going live with adult use, like recreational here in Illinois. That was one of the things they said, look, we can't roll out a program and continue in this fashion Whether you know, what I'm saying at the end of the day, 100 percent of, you know, uh, cannabis companies are owned by older white men. Right. And so I think that realization that they, they needed the political you know, goodwill in order to pass legalization by saying they're going to create a social equity program is how they got adult use passed in Illinois. Right now. At the end of the day, you know, how has has it all panned out for folks like us? Like, that's a whole different question. But, you know, I think that's that's how the, the conversation got started here. And then, you know, Alex, I know you have experience on the obviously coming from the West Coast, but you have experience in the West Coast market and, and now operating in, in Illinois. You know, one of the biggest criticisms that we've seen, whether it's on the ground or just from people that are traveling within an industry is right. The quality isn't quite there. It's a lot of large scale MSOs. And we're talking about the actual product on the market. You know, the quality is not really matching up kind of what, what your consumer, your, your legacy consumer is used to smoking and has demand for. So for you and being involved in this company, what's the importance of making sure that, that, that quality is there. And I know you guys have the craft license type. So I'm just kind of curious if you can kind of speak on the, the setup of, ensuring that you guys are leading with quality and bringing, you know, bringing some of that legacy. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, out of the black or the gray market, but just the legacy, the people who've been smoking, what are you guys looking to bring to the market to ensure that that, that segment, which is the largest 
existing consumer group that there is, is, is represented and taken care of. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, people saying that they're doing, you know, craft cannabis and, and, you know, I think a lot of the heavy lifting really starts with ge the genetics, right. And just taking a lot of experience for understanding kind of like what makes good weed, good weed. Um, I think since corporations got involved, you know, there's been this incorrect information as it pertains to like THC, you know, levels being an indicator of high quality cannabis. Um, you know, and, and so I use that as an example because, you know, part of us and our approach to the market is to bring some unique brands. You know, one brand that we're really excited about launching is called Terp Kings. Terp Kings is a brand, as, as the name states, you know, kind of gives it away. It's It's highly focused on you know, terpenes and the entourage effect combined with the different cannabinoids. And so, you know, part of our strategy in introducing these quality craft, you know, starts with genetics, um, obviously, you know, talking more about just, you know, like having a differentiated product that the market's not familiar with. I think there's been a lot of overproduction of really just average quality on the market a lot of that i think is just net that there's very little competition you know and as some of these people that have been in the industry get a shot you know they've been doing it for 10 or in my case 20 years in the industry like when that when that talent is able to be showcased then i think you know the game starts to change and that's going to definitely change the overall landscape of just the market and forcing the bigger folks to be um more competitive, more innovative. And so like Turp Kings is a brand we're really excited about launching because it just purely focuses on, you know, the terpene profiles, the uniqueness of every strain and the smell of it, and really just out there hunting for the best, you know, and, and, and the best growers in the industry, whether it's in Illinois or California, those guys don't sleep, you know, like it's just something that's embedded in them and their pursuit of the best of the best of the best, it just never stops. And so they're constantly bringing this innovation to the market without getting complacent. And I think that's like where it, you know, it stems from the passion of the plant. And like, for me, that's what's very important. And for our organization, I think, you know, we wanna, we recognize our position in the market. We recognize that we were lucky enough to be granted these licenses. And, you know, now the hard part begins because once you win the license, then you got to stand these businesses up and roll them out. But, you know, I think, you know, Ambrose, myself, our, our support staff and other team members, like we haven't stopped. We've been at this since we got the license, you know, nonstop. And um, we want to leverage that platform because we believe with our status in the market, we can really help other folks, you know, who want to be included, you know, and, and we can serve as that kind of extension, you know, big brother kind of helping, helping people out. There's a lot of talent out there. And unfortunately the barriers are so hard that those people don't get to showcase their talent. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's and I like what you said, putting that putting that pressure on people to produce quality. Right. We see that in any market at, at the start of legalization, any dispensary's got a line out the door. You can pretty much charge whatever you want for some super mids. People are just excited for legal weed. You know, like the first legal weed purchase quality isn't really a concern. You're just stoked to do it legally. And, you know, the age old thing that used to frustrate me in the early days of Washington. You know, everyone always said the weed sells itself. And I'd always be like, bro, it's not like. That's not a, a visionary statement. That is very much a, a, the now is not going to be how it is, how it's going to it's going to evolve from that. Right. And we're seeing mm -hmm. that in some of these states, especially like Illinois, that are coming out limited license at the start. There's not a lot of competition, large scale yeah. and not a lot of people have done this at scale, even though there are people that have grown for a while. Not a lot of people have done this at scale. 
um, and, and excelled at that. So there's a lot of not the the top tier of quality offerings, but then there's also like, you know, there's that no pressure to do it. If that's what everything's out there, right? There's not a, I'm, I only have to really be better than my last batch, which, you know, is incre small incremental changes rather than when craft cultivators come out and really put the pressure on people and, and see that consumer demand go to brands off off the quality leading and not just presence in the market. Um, yeah. For you guys being vertically integrated, you know, we we're talking a little bit before we started, right? There's so many different aspects of that. You got to build out, you got to get plants in the ground. It's a long, long, long lead time to get those plants from once they're in the ground and dialed in and, and in jars or, or bags to the people. And then you got the retail side. What so far has been kind of the, maybe either the most challenging or the most time consuming to bring it online right now? Is it the cultivation? Is it the retail? Or is it just a little bit of the regulatory of dealing with all of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can provide an answer. On, on, it's probably different than Alex Alex's, but <clears throat> you know, for us, it's it's dealing with the regulatory compliance, specifically at like the city level, building code level, building commissioner, you know, um, getting building and construction permits reviewed and, and approved. You know, you almost have to educate you know your local leadership right within within you know the the township or the city. Um, about what this is and, and how you go about doing it in a responsible way. Um, you know, there's, they're, they're, because they haven't seen it before, you know, they, they don't really have any frame of reference, which, which ultimately results in more work and more time spent for us. Um, and so that, that's what, that's what I, that's what I've seen has been kind of a thorn in my side. I don't know, Alex, if you have a different answer. I mean, I would just piggyback off of that. I think, you know, talking about regulatory, you know, uh, um, you know, regulations and, and what we can do. And uh, adding to that, I think financing, right? Like raising capital with those restrictions. I mean, raising capital in general is hard when you're trying to raise 10 million or $20 million, just, you know, and, and, and then you go to the market and, you know, you, you have to pitch investors on standing up a large scale cultivation that requires, you know, X amount of millions of dollars in CapEx to bring the proper HVAC or electrical in, but yet we're capped at a, a 5,000 square foot canopy. So when you start sending investors or, you know, financial partners or potential partners, these performas, you know, they don't look all that attractive. And so you almost have to sell your vision more so than anything, because, you know, it's a really unorthodox way to raise capital. You're basically asking somebody to give you a $10 million capital commitment. And while you're trying to maintain majority ownership of your business to make the, the right decisions and carry out your vision without, you know, giving the control to somebody else, that's not a very typical or standard financing structure. And it's very unorthodox. You know, most people that are going to write those checks, those are, those are VC type checks and they're going to want over 51% ownership or, you know, have some very predatory terms. And so like, for us, I think the challenge was a lot of it was just getting funded and, and getting the business to a point where we could actually, you know, start putting things in motion, right? Because of just the, the the high barrier to entry. That's a perfect example for why the smaller groups can't, you know, get onto the you know legal side. It's just the barriers are way too high, and that's just one on the financial piece. And there's obviously many others. Absolutely. And that's, you know, folks that have been around cannabis for a while, most likely aren't the types that have been around that that financial world and, and understanding, raising capital, even know who to go to outside of a, you know, small group of friends, right? Raising capital back in the right. days was a lot of duffel, duffel bag races, man. You exactly. Know? Yep. <laughs> and trust. Yeah. Handshake agreements. Yep. 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a whole new world. So, you know, we're obviously we're coming out there to mess with y'all with 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 the up, upcoming, you know, the flower ball with KVL International, man. Um, you know, super excited to come out to the shy. Like I think I told you guys, I, I've only I've only had a layover in the airport. So this will be my first time coming out to the city and and glad that cannabis is bringing me out there to check out what's going on and and, and hang with you guys in the flesh. But I'm just curious, kind of what was the inspiration behind behind the flower ball and what, what are you guys looking to 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 bring with this event? Yeah, so flower ball to start off, Alex, feel free to jump on, jump in. But, uh, you know, at, at its basis, you know, the concept between, behind the uh, flower ball was to kind of take two different groups um, and kind of break down those barriers, right? And, and really they're perceived barriers, right? And those groups are th those people who tend to, um, you know, go to various cannabis expos around the country, you know, again, ones where you're talking about weed and, um, but you can't actually smoke any weed at the event. Like, um, and then the folks who, you know, go to fashion shows and runway shows and are really on the fashion side of things, right. You know, people smoke weed, you know, and, and both of those environments is same, similar to, you know, the, the music industry, right. There's a lot of weed smokers and there's a lot of overlap. And so, you know, the idea around the, the, the flower balls is to say, Hey, can we create something that brings these different groups together around their joint love for the plant? and do it in a way that highlights the culture, which is something that's been missing historically in the Illinois market. Yeah, I would just add to that too. You know, I think, um, you know, from me personally, growing up on the West Coast, I've been lucky enough to be involved in some of the earlier events and, and watching them kind of evolve. And, and you know, to Ambrose's point of them, most of them with the exception of maybe Emerald Cup, right? And a couple other ones where it's, it's just more of like a B2B conference and it's, you know, everybody's always asking where the after, where's the after party and to be able to kind of put an all in one event together, you know, I think also just gives Chicago its own identity. I think, you know, that's the other thing too, is carving out a niche is such a big market, um, such an untapped market. Um, and really just the, you know, with all of the new licenses that are coming out, you know, our group and maybe one or two other ones, are, are further along in the brand development phase of rolling out brands. Like, as I mentioned, Turp Kings, and we have another brand we're launching, Kush League. Um, you know, it, it, we expect that this event will grow naturally over time just because more brands are going to be introduced. And a lot of these new brands, you know, need a place to, to showcase their brands. They all have marketing budgets. They all are going to try to, you know, have innovative new products and that they're excited about. And so, you know, one of the things that we talked about is like, all right, you've got the, you know, cannabis, music, arts, fashion, like that all kind of goes hand in hand in general, but they're always kind of in separate, you know, you got complex con, you got all these different things. And how can we create something that gives Chicago its own identity? Also making it, you know, um, something that the bud tenders and actually those folks who we believe are underserved because they've just been working for a lot of these bigger corporations and you know, not getting the exposure to a lot of things and just, you know, making them feel included and, and being part of something where they can have a say in or get to test out new products and brands before, you know, and so that they can actually know what they're selling on the floor and getting more connected to the brands. Like that was something that was also very uh, important. And then, you know, just naturally, like, how cool is it to have a fashion runway show in a cannabis event and like it'd be a true full production, like top of the line type uh, of setup, you know, and so. We're incredibly excited to kind of merge that together in an all-in-one venue. It's going to be uh, on November 5th in Chicago. So 
you know, we're real excited about it. We want to hopefully make this an annual event in Chicago um, and, you know, make this more of a, you know, a national event too, by incorporating the fashion component so that designers can get involved. And we change that up every year with different designers and things and make a lot of, um, you know, um, immersive experiences throughout the different booths that we have. And there's a lot of activities that, you know, are, there's a lot to this event, obviously, but there's these, you know, during the day, there's a lot of activities and a immersive experience that, you know, Ambrose and myself have been working tirelessly to create just unique things. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's, you know, we're really excited about it. We think it's, it's, it's the time is now and the market needs something like this. And so we've been getting a lot of love and support, man. It's been, the community has been showing up in a big way to keep it real. Like it's been pretty awesome to watch everybody rally behind us and even some big brands from the West coast, you know, are supporting us, you know, Sherbinsky's golden state banana, you know, vibes. Like there's a lot of really cool sponsors and people that want to contribute to the culture of cannabis and just, you know, Illinois as a booming new market. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I love that. Cause that's when you look at like the West coast, right? Like we're obviously the West coast is known for cannabis, right? Whether obviously we've paved, paved a lot of the way for legalization, but even previous to that, when you think of cannabis culture, you think of, you know, California, right? Palm trees, like West coast hip hop, like there's certain elements that come to mind when you think of cannabis culture, and as legalization has happened in those states, right, like you've had this pre-existing culture that's, you know, the, the, obviously there's some friction and tension and some people feel left out. But some of that culture is kind of carried through on the legalization. And some of that pre-legalization was very upfront, very, you know, it was not super in hiding, super in dark. Right. Like you could walk down Venice Beach back in the day and go get a, a weed car for 100 bucks, you know, all sorts of weed doctors. Right. It's very accessible in your face. But coming out of these areas like Chicago, where. You know, I, I'm not I can't speak like I've been on boots on the ground, but you ha don't think of Chicago as like can in mainstream cannabis culture as a Mecca. And at least from the outside looking in, you exactly. don't I've never heard of sessions in 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 Chicago. I'm sure some form of that has happened, but you don't see any of that. So it's kind of unique for you guys to kind of as legalizations happen to identify, hey, this is a big part that's missing. And it's a big part a to celebrate, but also like it's whether it's some people pigeonhole that stuff as just, you know, an extension of sessions or people taking, you know, crazy dabs or, you know, dab bars or whatever. There's this celebratory aspect of it, but also this education and this awareness aspect of learning what the brands are, learning the different product types kind of and mixing and mingling with one another. So I get why you're bringing all these different components together, but I'm just kind of curious if you can speak to of just like the importance of that kind of bridge between just like Cult, not just necessarily legacy, but culture and business, because it seems like even 1937 group, that seems a lot of like what your guys's mission is. So could you kind of speak to like being that conduit or that bridge a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, to your point, we we truly see that as something that we take on our shoulders and, and we have to carry and represent out here in Chicago because, you know, the, the reality is that it doesn't exist. If you look at the brands that are on the market right now, they're not representative of, you know, who has been engaging with this plant, you know what I'm saying, for, for generations, right? Like our voice, our face is not present in the market in Illinois. And that's turned a lot of people off in this market. And so, you know, now with legalization and there's a whole host of new licenses being awarded and you look at who's won those licenses, again, there ain't a group like us like out, out here with licenses. And so, 
you know, we, we do see ourselves as having to take that, carry it, and then create, you know, bridges for others, right? So even when it comes to our brands that we're bringing to the market on the legal side, like, like we're fucking with some of the folks that are right now on the legacy market here in Chicago, because it's like, you know, again, like who else, who else is going to help them, you know what I'm saying, make that bridge. And, and at the same time, it, you know what I'm saying? It's it's better for the market in general, just creating better overall dynamics of having more people inclusion included and more diversity. And again, um, products and brands that represent us. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I love that because that's, that's a huge part. You see these little echo chambers on LinkedIn. You see a lot of people talking about the biggest threat to legalization or somebody put it something like that. The biggest threat to legalization is like the black market. And like, while I get that from maybe if you're heavily invested financially in the legal market, obviously you want the smokers to come into your market where you can get money and taxes go. But it's also the black market has paved the way for this and set the tone for this, set the trends, created the genetics, created the consumer demand, created the awareness and the education. And right. for me, I don't understand why there's so much tension, you know, coming from the legal market towards the black market. I understand coming from the other side of that, right? From the black market versus that. I understand that. Bro, that it's like it's like they feel like because they got these licenses now, they're the only ones that should be making money off the plan, which is the fucked up part. Yeah, straight up. Yeah, that's true. And that's, <laughs> And that's, you've had a, a thriving ecosystem and, and, and just like economic cycle going, right? Where people are growing and supporting their family. People are selling right. and supporting their family. And smokers have been buying whatever quality they're content with at a price they've been content with for forever. And just because you say, oh, it's legal now, it's safe, it's tested, you got selection, you should pay double or triple what you've been paying the last 15 years for it. And if you're not, fuck you, you're a part of the problem, right? Yeah. I feel like that's a, a very yeah. weird yeah. angle to, to stand on. Yeah, um, well, I mean, on, on the regulated side, just to be fair, I mean, like there are more costs associated with sure. bringing your product to market. So you have to find a way to display that value, right? Or find a target market that's going to pay that cost. You know what I'm saying? Like don't hate on the people that, you know what I'm saying, are already there doing it. <clears throat> Another thing, too, is just making sure that a lot of these people know that the legacy market, although there's some that would disagree with this, you know, because I've heard it before, is like there will always be a black market. And I, I always kind of look at the alcohol market and like how prohibition was and moonshine. And it's like, yeah, that was probably cool for five years or 10 years once prohibition kind of went away. But you have to start planning for the future. Right. And so that to Ambrose's point of building bridges, it's like, man. No, we don't hate your hustle. Like we were there too. Like, you know, get, get, get your money, but also have a plan. Like, you know, you want to create products and, and have marketing and really polish up on your real business skills. Because at some point in time, you know, like my kids, they're going to grow up way different than I did in terms of their access to, to legal cannabis. And it's going to turn into more, in my opinion, of convenience, right? You know, just like alcohol, it's like who still buys, you know, their, their, their champagne from their barber or from, you know, like it's, it's, it's far and few. It's very minimal in the overall because the whole market, you know, the whole industry of, of it is, is mature now and it's more of a convenience. And so I believe that that'll start to really take shape, you know, obviously once taxes come down, cause I think that's a big driving force for, you know, the market and, and, uh, the, the prices of cannabis, right? Like if, if taxes weren't so high, then you can lower your prices and, and the consumers would probably mm -hmm. naturally start, you know, coming into the dispensaries more. And so 
um, you know, it's, it's about also kind of educating some of these, you know, quote unquote partners that we're working with and, and letting these, these people know, like, you know, you got to have something, you know, to fall back on or prepare for this to happen because it's inevitable, you know? Absolutely. I, I've been saying that for a minute, man, the taxes, you lower the taxes, you lower the price of the consumer, more people will come over. You're going to get more tax volume, less, you know, mm -hmm. less tax margin, but you know, common sense and economics to politicians is they don't fucking speak those languages, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm also curious too, like, you know, obviously the story behind the brand, like you guys have a real story behind your brand and that's not what exists in a lot of these corporate structures that are obviously existing in your, your, your market. And you brought up alcohol and that transition from prohibition. I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago and, and they made a point that is really just stuck in my head of like, you know, a lot of these liquor brands that exist, I, have you know the legacy liquor brands that that we've known that our parents used to drink our grandparents used to drink they're named after were brought to market from bootleggers from people that were breaking the were in the black market and transitioned over to the legal market and those brands that have stood the test of time obviously kardashians can launch liquor and all celebrities can launch shit nowadays but those ones that have really stood the test of time had a real story to it and evolved as the market evolved and that's not something that you can manufacture in a lab, right? That's a real story. So I'm just curious for, for you, especially Ambrose, like your, your story that you're bringing together with the 1937 group and you guys as a collective of how important is that story and, and, and how are the ways you guys are looking to communicate that story to, to you know, your, your partners in the market, but also the, the, the consumers at large? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it, it just goes back to the whole reason why we're, we're starting off the bat developing a house of brands. You know, we, we want to create products that people can identify with. They can see themselves in, right? When it comes to the, to the, to who it's created for, who they see in the marketing, like everything about it, they're like, yeah, that, that, that is something that I can align with. That's something that represents my values, you know? And, and so, you know, there's, there's a whole host of different folks. We talk about market segmentation, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, like at the end of the day, there's, there's a lot of commonalities amongst weed smokers too. Right. And so, you know, I think for us, it's just about like leaning into who we are at, at our core base. Right. And then and then using what we know from a marketing and brand and products standpoint, you know, to create some things that, you know, basically, like, like I mentioned, can, you know, can apply to, to, to folks in different areas. Right. In different in different backgrounds. Um, you know, I think making that connection like that innate connection is is important for, you know, brand loyalty, which is important for, you know, long term sustainability. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, I got to get some. I'm, I'm looking at your hat right now, bro. I got to. You got to. You got to lace me with some some 1937 shit when I'm out there, man. <laughs> yeah, I got you, man. I, I got to get on. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm definitely. I'm looking forward to November 5th, and for the for the for our audience out there listening, we'll be at the Flower Ball, hanging out with these guys, man. We're going to be doing some content, some podcasts on the floor. Um, excited to check out the market, get the lay of the land from, from people that they got their boots on the ground and they're in the culture, man. What, what else outside of the flower ball? And obviously you guys got multiple brands coming to the market waiting for, for some of these permits to come in and the build outs, but what, what else you guys got on the agenda for the rest of 2022 and, and early 23? Right now, man, it's just about execution, right? Executing our strategy. We've been working four years, you know, to get to the point where we're at right now. And, you know, I think the next 12 months, is going to be a game changer for us you know um it's going to be a game changer for the market you know all we got to do is just stay focused on what's in front of us yeah 
and hope to be that success story coming out of Illinois. That's the plan. Well, yeah, we, we you know in, in a year we'll be we'll be covering it. You know what I'm saying? We'll be covering we'll be covering the glow up, man, and, and excited to get out there yeah. here on November 5th, man. So, um, where where can people where can people find you guys? I know you got a couple of different brands. What's what's the main stuff you guys want to plug into? Whether it's Instagram handle or, or website. Yeah, I mean, so our, our website is simple. It's the 1937group.com. Our IG handle is the 1937group.com. Right. If you want to know about the KVL Flower Ball and just be plugged into like everything that's going to be going on, what you're going to see and experience when you're there, you know, follow us on IG at KVL underscore international. You know, I think that's a great start. You'll be able to, you know, what I'm saying tap into everything we got going on. Yep. And if you're interested in any of our brands, we've got uh, Terp Kings and Kush League. You can find us on Instagram at Terp Kings, T-E-R-P-K-I-N-G-S official. And Kush League official, at Kush League official, and at Turp Kings official. So, and we we got for people out there that follow us, respectmergent.com. If you scroll somewhere on, on the homepage, I believe the the Flower Ball article is still on the still on the front page of the site, so you can check that out. Shoot us a DM if you guys need the information on that. Uh, we look forward to getting out to Chicago, man. Ambrose, Alex, super appreciate you guys hopping on here. Really excited to get out there in Chicago and then do some more content, learn more learn more about your guys' market and, and, and continue to follow the journey, man. Awesome, man. We're looking Appreciate forward to you, it too. Much love. Can't wait to see you. Hell yeah. This is the North American Weed Tour. We are looking at the best in legal cannabis across the map. We're going to be out in Chicago messing with these guys, checking out the Illinois market. Stay tuned for more content. I think we have another episode or two on the podcast running today. So we'll be back with some more stuff later. <laughs>